¿Dónde están las mujeres patriotas? ¿Dónde está la juventud revolucionaria? Hello and welcome to Explaining Brazil, a podcast brought to you by The Brazilian Report. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief, and as usual, I'm joined by Chiara Long, staff writer at The Brazilian Report. Hello, Chiara. Hi, Gustavo. Great to be here. Great having you. In this space, we talk every week about Brazilian politics, economics, and social issues. Today, though, we're going to talk about Venezuela. Its border with Brazil has been hitting headlines since late 2016, when the Warao, an indigenous tribe that has historically migrated between Brazil and Venezuela, started appearing in record numbers in Roraima state's capital, Boa Vista. Since then, tens of thousands of ordinary Venezuelans have made a journey across the border as the crisis in their own country has escalated at an alarming rate. Venezuela's all-dependent economy has been described as in meltdown since late 2016. The lethal combination of a shrinking economy coupled with insane inflation levels, a rise of more than 4,000% between January this year and the previous year, has been a huge factor in the mass exodus. But it's also been accompanied by political difficulties, President Nicolas Maduro's party being accused by a growing number of political opponents of mismanaging the economy and eroding democratic institutions. Economic conditions have resulted in food shortages, which have been a key factor, but so has the violence. Last year's protests calling for direct and immediate elections ended with tear gas, rubber bullets, and beatings from police officers. Divisions have been so extreme that even the country's intelligence and police forces are split between different sides. For all the opposition that Maduro faces, he's managed to hold on to power. His supporters credit his party with pulling millions of Venezuelans out of poverty over the last two decades by using the country's oil to boost its economy. But with divisions so high as elections approach, it's unclear what's next for Venezuela. It's also unclear what exactly will happen with the Venezuelans who are still heading across the border to Brazil. Approximately 70,000 Venezuelans had crossed into Brazil by February this year amid rumors that Brazil may close its border, something that President Michel Temer has denied. Boa Vista, whose population is now 10% Venezuelan, is struggling to provide adequate shelter, employment and health care services. And Brazil's central government is unsure about what to do, flip-flopping between moving all Venezuelans' migrants to one place or dispersing them throughout the country. It's a pretty complex topic, but luckily today we have Rosario Hernandez, a political analyst from Venezuela. Rosario is a member of the website Young Diplomats, a partner institution of the Brazilian Report. Young Diplomats is a website that brings forward the viewpoints and analysis of young people on diplomacy and foreign policy. Rosario, welcome and thank you for joining us at Explaining Brazil. Thank you so much for having me. Rosario, it's hard to know where to start, actually. Can you tell us in a nutshell uh, what does Venezuela's crisis mean for the country and uh, for its neighbors in South America as well, please? Well, it is certainly hard uh, to know where to start, but it's a bit of a dystopic scenario. It's it's more like an Orwellian novel, what's happening in there. What does it mean? Well, it means, you know, humanitarian crisis, social crisis, economic crisis. It's it's. You know, you were talking about the hyperinflation and um, and of course, an immigration um, crisis that you can see in Brazil. It's not just in Brazil. Of course, it's happening right now. Also in Colombia, I've heard that there are troops that are being mobilized to the border to to control 
you know, the, 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 the fleeing Venezuelans that are trying to get away from all the crises. And, you know, it means, as I said, humanitarian crisis. They're people. It's not even about finding what to eat, but they're people that need medicines, for example, and that it's not accessible in the country. So, of course, in that situation when you're being forced to, you take the civis out of the civilization and and it's almost almost nearly to a very animal state like in which people are just trying to survive um this is what's happening and obviously we're talking about the neighboring countries but also there are venezuelans just all over the place i am currently in guatemala and it would be it would sound crazy you know for for us perhaps 15 or 20 years ago that Guatemala would put a visa restriction on Venezuelans, but it has just happened. It has been adopted. So, yeah, it is a big thing, not just for Venezuela, but for the region. It does represent a big problem for the region, of course. And can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the politics at the moment? Because we know that there are some really extreme divisions currently facing the country. But what does that mean? And especially what does that mean right now with the elections so close? You know, so the division was very marked, I would say, a few years ago, you know, where everyone was, it was really strong, even like among oppositions, there would be faction, like fractions of the oppositions that would say, don't go vote. Some of them would say, go vote. I feel like the opposition now is starting to get unified against both government and opposition leaders. They feel betrayed by the opposition leaders that they have been all the time voting for. They do not trust the electoral system. So, yeah, the main that's the main difference. Actually, right now, the main contender that would run against Maduro in the elections that are supposedly coming in May, but it's not yet, you know, everything, nothing is really uh, sure. First, it was going to be in December. Then they called it, uh, they wanted to make them earlier now in April, and now it's going to be in May. So um, the main contendant against uh, Maduro will be Henry Falcon, who is actually, I am very familiar with him because he he was the um, uh, mayor of the city where I was born, the city I was born and raised, and in the government of that same state as well. Um, he was initially a Chavista. And so Chavista people, um, I would say those who would be willing to vote for Maduro. I don't think it's a very big majority. I think most um, data has shown that Maduro has over uh, probably just around 20% of, of acceptance at the moment or 25%, something of that sort. Um, so he, Henry Farclon was Chavista and now Chavistas see him as a traitor because obviously he turned to the opposition, but then the opposition does not trust him and see him as someone that can turn back at any given moment. But yeah, I mean, the, uh, what I see among the opposition is just that it's not even a, a division among opposition, like normal citizen. It would be only in terms of leadership, but people are just trying to, to, they just don't trust the system anymore and it's a it's been kind of rumored to be a very rigged electoral system that people just don't trust anymore and they do not have their hopes in this coming elections most people are trying to are saying i will not vote not this time 
And can we expect something in the lines of what happened last year with uh, legislative elections with manipulated uh, voting systems? Uh, the opposition didn't recognize the, the election. Uh, turnout figures were allegedly uh, manipulated. What can happen this year? Um, so if, if the elections do turn out to happen, you know, that the, they do happen, of course, um, with the very low participation rates, Maduro will win, um, especially because nobody will vote for, or like a very small amount of people will vote for Henry Falcón because not Chavistas, not opposition people trust him. It's basically a way to not give legitimacy to Maduro. This is what um, what people are calling to do, just to boycott the elections, do not go to vote because, you know, the elections are rigged. And this is the way that if we go and vote and he's going to win anyway because he has control over the electoral system, um, then we will give legitimacy to him in front of the world's eyes. So possibly what can happen is him winning and, of course, people going and protest. Um, possibly we could have a diff like another 2016-2017 scenario in which people would take the streets for a long time um, in, in protest to say this is illegitimate, he did not win, etc. There were people killed, uh, students killed, Uh, by police forces. So the repression was brutal. Um, there are plenty, plenty of videos all over social media that proved it, you know. And so what they did try and do was precisely to try and control the Internet, try and control. It was super um, ridiculous. But, like, there were legislators um, trying to get to ban Twitter from, from Venezuela, for example, and have people not accessing it because they were showing uh, videos of brutal repression. Uh, Rosario, I want to talk a bit about Venezuela's economy. Uh, according mm -hmm. to the International Monetary Fund, uh, Venezuela has the worst inflation rates in the world, the ninth worst mm -hmm. unemployment rate. Its currency has mm -hmm. lost 99% of its value since 2012. Infant mortality rate has gotten 100 times worse over the past four years. Suspended from uh, Mercosur, which is the common uh, trade block in South mm -hmm. America. What can we expect in the near future in Venezuela? It, it seems like a Mad Max-like crisis over there uh, what is the outcome of that what can we expect the outcome is precisely what we're seeing right now it is it is exactly what you're saying of course the government will have different numbers and debate that data that you're having right there but i mean that is something that if you go and you go to the hospitals and you go and see what's happening of course you know you will believe that that's that is exactly what is happening it has been predicted that seven percent of venezuelans will have left the country by 2020. Speaking of which, the Brazilian uh, northern border has been notably porous. How has been the situation at the border, both with Brazil, with Colombia? Uh, how, how have border patrols in different countries dealt with this Venezuelan migration crisis right now? Both 
countries historically have been quite easy in border policies because there was never really an interest or need from either side of the border to migrate. Well, actually from Colombia, we, it was kind of the story was the other way around whenever they had the the um, the armed conflict, you know, in, in its peak years. There were plenty, plenty of Colombians crossing the border and leaving in Venezuela. Um, but the, the, the border policy was always quite light. But, of course, it has, that has changed in the past couple of years because of this big crisis. So, so yeah, right now, as we can see, you know, the, the, it was the, 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 the Brazilian government, well, considering, you know, the, the Roraima state government, considering closing the border, Colombia has mobilized more troops to the border. It's been a bit, you know, it is a problem. And it, it is representing a, a humanitarian crisis in Roraima, I can see. So On that yeah. note, we've seen a lot of reports in the Brazilian media about the really poor conditions that a lot of Venezuelans face when they arrive in Boa Vista. And I think a, lot, a, a question that, you know, a lot of people are probably unsure of is, is that, is that really better than, than what they had in Venezuela? Because they still don't have shelter. They still don't yes. have adequate food. They still don't really have sufficient health care. I mean, what do, you, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, that can only tell you how bad the situation in Venezuela can be, that so many hundreds are willing to walk hundreds of miles through the jungle just to get to a place that does not even have adequate living conditions either. So, yeah, definitely. It is, as as bad as it sounds, uh, the con- living conditions that they're having there in Boa Vista are definitely better than whatever they're facing in Venezuela. Yeah, uh, at the Brazilian Report, we published a few months ago um, a story about Venezuelan women that once they get to Brazil and the mere fact that they are Venezuelans, Brazilian companies and Brazilian business owners, they offer much less money, significantly less money for the same jobs. And a lot of them have been forced prostitution. Um, they... It, it, at rates that are much lower than the Brazilian sex workers were practicing and it was like the last resource they had to raise some money, to send some money, food uh, to their relatives who remained in Venezuela. Is this kind of situation uh, similar to what's happening in other Latin American countries where a lot of Venezuelans have migrated to? Yes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there is... Um, a bit of a reputation in that in Central America, I would say specifically Panama, some either in Guatemala, uh, and of course in Colombia, that there are some women who have turned to prostitution. I've also heard about a few countries that also are kind of, I wouldn't say countries, but people, um, that could be taken advantage, of course, from that situation, from whatever, um, desperateness a person can have. And, and offer less money for something that they would offer anybody else, you know. So, yes, I've, I've, I've certainly heard about these things. Um, I have not come across something that would prove it completely, but this is for sure something that has been set for a, quite a while. I mean, I think we should also talk 
it being that we're on kind of conditions and how people live, you mentioned as well that journey, and I think it's really important that we talk about the conditions on that journey because you said, mm -hmm. um, as we've seen in a lot of reports, a lot of Venezuelans who are coming to Brazil at least come across by foot. They make this incredibly arduous journey through the jungle and through mm -hmm. the mountains. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear how many people you think were really making that journey in those conditions. Because I think for a lot of people outside of outside of the situation, it's really entirely unthinkable that anybody could cross that of border course. but would, would walk yeah. so many hundreds of miles. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it hasn't happened only to again to Brazil, but definitely have, there have been people that have crossed the border by foot um, going to Colombia and crossing this river that is in the border. And um, that was quite a new, I think, back two years ago when this whole crisis uh, deepened. Well, because the crisis has been going on for years, of course, I would say since the fall of oil prices in 2014. But I would say like the actual refugee crisis has, I'd say since 2016, and I think it was in 2016, that um, there There was a big, big report on, and, and I believe there was a documentary done or like a big, you know, TV report, I think, done by BBC, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I might be, of course. Um, there were people crossing the border with just a couple of um, backpacks, you know, their entire lives and a couple of backpacks crossing a river and crossing the border by foot just to try and live better. So, yeah, the journey. And, of course, they face, I mean, the border has a reputation of being extremely dangerous. Um, they face extortion uh, in the border. Sometimes there will be their own um, military forces that are guarding the border that would allow them in. But of course, in exchange of something of whatever little money they might they might have left in their pockets, I've heard of some people, of course, hiding it in other places in their bodies so that it won't be taken away from them. I have read, in especially in the U.S. media, debates mm -hmm. on whether or not the international community should intervene in Venezuela. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a topic of huge debate. In, in your opinion, as a Venezuelan who is living abroad right now, mm -hmm. do you think that uh, other countries should intervene? If so, how? In the way that uh, it, it doesn't worsen a situation that is already really bad. Yes, that is a great question. And of course... Uh Uh, I feel like I shared with a lot of other Venezuelans. It's something that I talk to with other Venezuelans where it is a matter now of it's a humanitarian crisis. So, for example, the whenever there were protests in 2016 that there were brutally, brutally being students being murdered by the government forces. Um, there was an intervention needed back in that moment. Um, and now it's, I, I feel like it still is. I mean, if, when you have people dying in the hospitals because they don't have any treatment, treatment, when you have, um, a rise in, in child mortality, of course, um, that would be more of a humanitarian intervention than anything else. It's not just talking about politics or, or, 
just trying to implement a specific policy is just basically trying to save lives. Um, so, yeah. But, of course, I also understand the right of every government to not get involved, right? So, in which ways is an intervention appropriate? Um, it is really hard to tell, but I would say the government of Venezuela should be forced by the international community to hold completely fair elections with international watchers, of course, and and an electoral system that is, I would say, 100% trustable by Venezuelans. Um, so that would be, I think, the most appropriate way to intervene. Because, of course, right now, people do not want to vote because of this electoral system that has been stopped, has been there for the entire time since the Chavez era, and they don't trust it. So that would be, a, I, I believe that would be a really good way to intervene. It sounds to me like it would be really, really difficult, though, for Venezuelans to agree on an election system that really actually would guarantee democratic elections, no? Yes, it is It is hard to tell which one, which electoral system would be um, something acceptable. But, of course, I would say an international one. Um, something that would be observed internationally, because I know that, of course, for sure, like the opposite, if the opposition would propose, yeah, can the U.S. watch or or can Panama watch? Of course, the the government, uh, the government, um, the opposition would not trust, um, you know, Russia or China or whatever or Cuba. Um, so I think it would be more like. Countries, um, maybe three, four, five countries that have always remained a bit neutral when it comes to Venezuela. Uh, that is, it, this is definitely a situation that does not have the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, Rosario, thanks for your time. And uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners this week. We're glad you joined us. If you like what you heard, please take a few minutes and check out our reporting at the Brazilian Report. You can find new pieces on Brazilian politics, economics, and society every day uh, on our website. That's brazilian.report. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast, so please do get in touch and let us know what you think or your suggestions for what you'd like to hear from us. You can reach us via the Brazilian Report's website or our Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. This podcast was written by Kiara Long and produced by me, Gustavo Ribeiro, for the Brazilian Report. That's all for this week. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>